This is Science Drives and Wellness Steers, Season 2. I'm your host, Allie. When I was in school, the most unhelpful and frequent thing I was told was she'd do so great if she just focused. The thing I never heard was how to focus. So I've dedicated my career to helping parents and educators do better. Moving from just pay attention to let me teach you how to pay attention. Let me teach you how to harness the superpowers of your brain. I've been the clinical director and therapist for Magnificent Minds for over a decade and have been supporting teachers, parents, and therapists of neurodivergent kiddos for even longer. Professionally, I'm admittedly an eclectic mix with formal training in counseling psychology and behavioral sciences. I don't fit neatly into a box, which I guess is something I have in common with the spectacularly unique kiddos I support. I combine my love of science with my connection to the pursuit of wellness and find myself at the midpoint of behavioral science and mental health, looking through the lens of neurodiversity. I'm a hippie at heart, avoiding pseudoscience, gluten, and ableism. I'm a political advocate and a passionate writer who is not afraid to have hard conversations. I'm a sometimes all over the place, not always put together mom of three, entrepreneur, and a wife who was voted most likely to speak out of turn in just about every year of elementary school, which surprises no one who knows me. You can look up my business at magnificentminds.ca or do a full social media stalking on Instagram at magminds, on TikTok at therapymagminds, on my blog, of course in my podcast, or even sign up to receive monthly updates via my newsletter. But don't worry, spam isn't my jam. Thanks for taking a bit of time and joining my community. I look forward to going on this journey with you. Hey, sorry to interrupt, but did you know that you can grab resources I've created for supporting development, behavior, and mental health, and even completely downloadable training programs by heading to my website? Head to magnificentminds.ca and click Parent Corner. There you can check out downloadable resources and even register for virtual masterclasses like Parenting and Autism or Parenting and ADHD. All right, now that I'm certain you're not missing out on anything, let's hop back into this episode. Just focus. Pay attention. Look at what you're doing. These are all things we've said. We've said them a million times. Our goal is to get our kiddos to focus on the task at hand. The message is that they need to attend. They need to look. They need to focus. The delivery is flawed. And if you've said something in you know, a moment of anger like focus or pay attention, you've probably immediately been plagued with guilt after because you realize this isn't helpful. This doesn't support learning. It's not enough to be told what I need to do, but I need to be told and taught how to do it. In particular with kids with ADHD or autistic kids, we need to be giving them the strategies to navigate their challenges and needs in a way that respects neurodiversity, in a way that recognizes their unique strengths and needs in sort of a way that is proactive. And when we're just being reactive and we're just giving them feedback like, focus or do better, we're not helping them. We're not teaching them. We're just punishing them. And that's not the goal. That's never been the goal. You know that ADHD is everywhere. So many people have it and so many adults have it. And the adults that have it were kids that had it. Many of them were never diagnosed. Many of them heard over and over when they were in school, focus, pay attention, stop talking, raise your hand, all of these skills that need to be taught, all of these things that require self-regulation, self-monitoring, executive functioning, the core deficits of ADHD. 
So here we are, you know, we're trying to do better. We know that ADHD is everywhere. So we're trying to learn about it. We're trying to understand it. We may be trying to understand it for ourselves because we think, oh my gosh, I have that. ADHD is not, generally speaking, a deficit in focus. It's a possible deficit in focus or in the ability to attend to a particular idea or stimulus or task. Oftentimes, individuals with ADHD actually focus too well. Just maybe not on what you want them to focus on, which, of course, is not ideal in every situation. If you haven't already checked out the post on my blog on hyperfocus, I encourage you to do that. It'll really give you a sense of, you know, the multifaceted components of the ADHD brain and some of the strengths, you know, that are laying under the surface of the ADHD brain that are actually, if, you know, channeled correctly and, and you know, with the right support systems can actually be amazing in terms of, you know, learning, career development later on in life, you know, pursuing passions and interests. For this reason, many other reasons, telling someone with ADHD to just focus is not a good plan, but you probably already knew that because in a moment of frustration, you've tried it and how'd that go? Not so good. You probably felt guilt. You probably felt frustrated with your kid and with yourself. We've all been there, so don't beat yourself up. When you know better, you do better, right? So let's do better together. ADHD can impact learners in a multitude of ways, but two commonly noted areas that it's going to impact are impulsivity and hyperactivity. Impulsivity and hyperactivity can impact learning at school, at home, engagement in the community, really anywhere that you do things, your impulsivity and hyperactivity can play a part. Impulsivity can impact your social skills, your self-regulation, your behavior management, even the development of academic or cognitive skills. Hyperactivity impacts all of the same domains as impulsivity and, and then some. A common misconception is that hyperactivity exists only insofar as observable behavior. In fact, some kids can appear to an outside observer to be calm, relaxed, generally, you know, cool as a cucumber, but they may be experiencing extremely high rates of hyperactive thoughts internally, which is not observable, which can cause the same or even greater distraction than a hyperactive body. Picture a computer with too many tabs open at once. It can slow the whole computer processing system down, make it difficult to get through any one step, step task. As we work to improve our ability to support neurodiverse kids, we can use the following strategies to maximize engagement, accommodate needs, and respect the strengths and needs of the learner in a way that addresses hyperactivity and impulsivity from a place of compassion and understanding as opposed to a place of punishment and reactive statements like focus, pay attention. So the first thing you can do is display a schedule. This applies to home, school, this includes anything that would be a social plan listed on it, any daily must-do chores. Essentially, if it has to get done, it should be scheduled and referenced consistently. Why? Teaching your learner how to use a schedule or a calendar is an easy way to embed an important life skill into day-to-day -day operations that will carry the learner into adulthood and provide a reasonable accommodation to stay organized. A schedule is concrete, 
a schedule or calendar is non-stigmatizing, and it provides a visual cue. Think about it this way. Where would you be without your schedule? Where would you be without your to-do list or your must-do chores? These are all things that as adults we develop. We develop these systems in order to meet our needs. And while some of us have ADHD and some of us may not, the, the, the sort of core idea here is that as adults we learn how to respond to our deficits in a way that's proactive. Oh, I keep forgetting to take out the garbage. I'll put a post-it note to remind myself. Oh, I keep forgetting to, I don't know, log into my morning Zoom meeting. I'll set a reminder on my phone so that it you know, tells me. I keep forgetting to take my vitamins. I'll set a reminder. All these things are, are things that we schedule into our day because we've noticed a need. So why not get in right away with our kiddos when they're in school, you know, they're in elementary age. Why not get in right away with the idea that a schedule or a calendar is not just for, you know, planning the holidays or, you know, vacation time from school. A schedule or a calendar can be used to support executive functioning skills, task completion, focus. Another thing you can do is be overt about the rules. This applies at home, it applies at school, it applies for social plans, daily must-dos. If it happen, happens regularly, the behavioral expectation should be spelled out concretely and it should be referenced consistently. So you're going to notice a pattern here. You're going to notice that all of the strategies I'm giving you are going to apply to home, to school, to social or preferred activities, to non-preferred activities or must-dos. These are all things that naturally lend themselves to regular life, and that's the reason that I like them. Back to rules. So don't assume that your child is going to generalize rules or expectations from one context to another. Don't assume that your kiddo knows that because running isn't allowed in your house, that it isn't allowed in, you know, your neighbor's house. Be clear and be explicit and be consistent about referencing those rules. Why does this work? Why is it important? As adults, we have a whole history of lived experience to help us figure out how to act in certain situations. We can read the room, generally speaking. Our kids, especially those with ADHD, need our help in determining concretely what the rules are and more importantly, why they're the rules. Reason with your learner. Rationalize and explain without being patronizing, without requiring blind cooperation, because I said so. Explaining to your kids the rules and why they're the rules is going to help you get buy-in. It's not enough to say, you know, you have to do it because mom said or dad said. A kiddo with ADHD, really any kiddo, is not going to have a high level of buy-in if that's your approach. It's not because I said so. It's because that's the rule in this situation because of this reason and this expectation. All right, the next thing I want to talk about is getting in the habit of clearly outlining your if-then behavioral expectations. So this is how you're going to reference your rules consistently. So the kiddo already knows the rules, but what they also need to know is what happens if they're broken. If you break the rule, then I or you will, and you have to be consistent about it. It's important to set out the rules and the boundaries, but they mean nothing if they are consistently referenced and that has to be done before they're needed. You can't wait until a rule is broken to lay down the rule. You can't wait until something happens that wasn't expected to say, if you do that again, here's what will happen. You need to be consistent about referencing the rules before they're needed, and in so doing, laying out that if-then expectation. What will happen if 
you run in your neighbor's house? Well, we might leave. You know, what will happen if you turn up the volume on your iPad after you know that, you know, the volume that's acceptable is whatever level I've let you know? Well, you might lose the iPad. You know, what might happen if you don't, I don't know, if you don't share your toys, well, then I, I might have to help you share and then you'll be upset because, you know, you're not going to be able to decide when you share. I'm going to have to tell you. Sometimes we forget to review the rules and then we do it contingent on or just after we see the behavior that doesn't meet the expectation. When we do this, we miss the opportunity to teach before our kiddo has the chance to make the mistake. Unintentionally, our rules become a correction procedure rather than a tool used proactively to teach. Our kids can perceive this feedback as punitive, which misses the mark and is not going to be a good way to get buy-in. And if we don't have buy-in, we don't have good fidelity or follow through on our rules from our kiddos. Impulse control and hyperactivity of thoughts can make it hard to move on from an idea without sharing it. For our learners, this occurs in off-topic comments, long-winded explanations or stories, or just objectively out-of-the-blue ideas that they feel compelled to share. While well, oftentimes we can gain a lot from these creative or outside-the-box ideas, the truth is that sometimes are better than other times for sharing them. Sometimes in class or during a conversation, our learners need reminders to stay on topic or to transition smoothly to a new topic in a conversation, to follow social norms for conversation, raising their, hair in class, their hand in class before speaking, waiting for a pause in the conversation, or changing topics at the right time in the right way. A blurb book is a quite literally a notebook intended to be stored on the student's desk or in their room. A notebook where they can put their big ideas as a way to get them out without interrupting the flow of learning or conversation and in a way that saves them for later and allows us to teach our learner that their ideas are best when shared, but that it's important to do so at the right time so that they can be received with gratitude and appreciation rather than being dismissed and redirected constantly. Why is this important? Why does this work? We miss a lot by not allowing our learners to lean into their big ideas, but it's important to give them a concrete way to set the ideas aside without the risk of forgetting them when the timing isn't optimal. Like say when your kiddos had an extremely pressing long-winded thought while you're trying to make a three-point turn or parallel park. As adults, we learn to differentiate the right and wrong time to share ideas, but even still, many of us, especially those of us who become adults with ADHD, have to develop habits that align with our needs. Do you have a notebook by your bed that you write your nighttime thoughts in? A note page on your phone where you jot down random ideas or good, good thoughts? A working document on your computer where you track your to-do list or your next steps? Somewhere that you brainstorm? These are all examples of ways we as adults use modified versions of a blurb book. The last thing I want to talk about is explicitly teaching expectations in social situations by teaching your learner to assess body cues. What does body language or behavior tell you about whether the person is ready to receive engagement or social interaction? Am I sleeping? If I'm sleeping, I am not ready to receive engagement or social interaction. Am I alert and playing with you? If I am, I might be ready. Am I talking on the phone? If I'm talking on the phone or writing an email, I'm not ready to receive social interaction without an introduction or a request for your attention first. If I'm looking at my computer and typing, I might not be ready. Sometimes body language can be confusing or easily missed. In these cases or other untrained situations, how do we problem solve? 
teaching your learner to ask for attention, hey, do you have a second? Or excuse me, can go a long way in helping them troubleshoot if it's difficult to read the body cues, as well as giving them a way to ask for attention when they need it if somebody's body language says unavailable. Why does this work and why is it important? Our learners can often have tunnel vision on communicating their ideas, which is, at times, awesome. It is also, at times, troublesome for mastering basic social conventions and ensuring their ideas are well received. We can help our learners navigate how to know when someone, mom, dad, nana, teacher, peer, anyone in their environment, is ready to engage and reciprocate social engagement by teaching them to both, one, know how to analyze body language, and two, how to troubleshoot or check in if they aren't sure or the body language seems to signal unavailable. This will save your kiddo from having to compete for attention or having a complete one-sided conversation with someone who's absorbed in a task and then looks up and says, were you talking to me? By using these strategies, we help our kiddos understand how to navigate you know, the way that their brain works and how to get the most out of social interaction and engagement with their teachers, their peers, and their friends. All of these strategies are going to be things that have to be practiced and they're going to be things that we're going to have to model as parents. We assume that our kids will organically pick these skills up and while they may eventually, why not start them off on the right foot by explicitly teaching them the skills that we ourselves had to figure out organically because we were told just focus, just pay attention, or just be quiet. Thanks for listening to another episode of Science Drives Wellness Steers. It's been amazing hanging out and I am so grateful for your willingness to let me in. If you like this episode, don't forget to leave a rating and share, share, share. Until next time, stay well, stay grounded, and keep letting science drive your habits while you let the pursuit of wellness and balance steer you in the right direction.